0: Editorial pages are not known for fresh ideas and younger voices. However, the Sacramento Bee has recruited a new team that is younger and definitely has a point of view, and readers are noticing. The members of that team, along with the Sacramento Bee's California opinion editor, Marcos Pertone, join us to talk about the issues facing our community and our nation. One note, I serve on a volunteer basis as a member of the Sacramento Bee's editorial advisory board. Yosef. What is the relevancy of a traditional newspaper editorial page when so many people are consuming their news from Twitter, YouTube, or personality-driven vehicles like Substack?
1: Well, Scott, I think editorial boards traditionally have been uh, kind of the voice for a community, for a city, uh, and for the public. And uh, they often weigh in and take positions on issues that Uh, The news side does not. The news side typically states the facts, talks to both sides of an issue, um, and editorial boards do as well, but they then lend their judgment to a subject and uh, try and inform uh, the community about which way to lean on certain issues that the news side might just lay the facts out on.
0: Hmm. Robin, I I, want to ask you, why is it that so many people these days in general don't pay any attention to the editorial pages of most of our major newspapers. What's going on there?
2: Um, I think if anybody knew the real answer to that, newspapers would be doing a lot better financially than they have been. Um, But I think the real answer, um, for me at least, is that newer generations are going to find different ways to consume the news than their predecessors did. And that doesn't mean that the old ways are obsolete or, or not worth something still. We just have to be more creative in gaining those audiences and um, our opinions, our thoughts, our worth is always gonna be there. It's just a matter of um, bringing it to people's attention.
0: Hmm. Hannah, when you are around people that are your contemporaries, and they find out what you do. What's, what's generally the reaction?
3: Well, uh, most of my peers are in the tech world. And I think when I tell them that I get paid to write and it's a career that doesn't even cross their mind uh, that, that I could um, have graduated with an English major and now actually be making a living wage. Um, so I, I think that one, there is this level of shock and surprise, but I've also found that there's a level of um, deep admiration and appreciation and, and real curiosity. There have been a number of times where, um, you know, so many questions arise out of my uh, my job description. People really want to hear more.
0: Hmm. Marcos, when you and your colleagues at the Bee were assembling, this team and the folks who aren't with us today that make up the entire editorial board team. What was your inspiration for uh, going, some would say, outside the box in who you wanted to bring uh, into that room?
4: Well, for me, um, it started with um, by accident that my predecessor left. Uh, I was asked by the company to step in. I had been asked for a decade to consider being uh, the editorial page editor at the B, and my answer wasn't just no, it was hell no. Uh, and in this case, uh, what was ultimately, one of the factors that ultimately led me to take this job was that we had two members of the board, uh, Yusef and Hannah, who were uh, younger and uh, whose work, particularly in the area of climate change, had really opened my eyes. Someone of my generation, I really felt I felt my generation had really overlooked that issue and how present it is in our lives. And then in short order, I had the opportunity to hire people. And the first job offer I made was to Robin Epley. Uh, and so all of a sudden we had, we had three members of our editorial board who were uh, either in their early 30s or early 20s. And that's very rare in newspapers. And, uh, and I really, as the editor, have tried to encourage all three of them uh, to write from that perspective, uh, to write about climate change, to write about um, affording to live in Sacramento, um, and to bring that perspective uh, to our pages, and, and I think it's been successful.
0: Robin, I, I want to ask you, in following up on what Marcos just said, when you look at the work that you and your colleagues are doing, what conversations are you personally most proud of that uh, the bee is starting to lead on that historically, maybe older folks like Marcos and I might have missed or might not have given as much relevance to
2: well, first of all, I am so proud to be a member of this team. um i'm I'm so honored every day to to work with these people and and to bring uh, a younger voice to the board, along with Yusuf and Hannah, that um, you don't usually see on editorial boards. And I think, as Marcos already mentioned, our number one issue really is is climate change. And our generation, excuse me, our generations. Uh, Hannah, <laughs> Hannah's Gen Z, and Yusuf and I are both millennials. Um, we see the the problems and the change that's occurring. And for us, it's not a question of whether or not climate change is real. It's a question of it's, it's coming. How soon is it coming? What can we do to reverse this? Um, and we take our positions very, very seriously in trying to spread that message and holding uh, our leaders accountable to the kind of changes that only they can make. And so I think, um, first and foremost, uh, that's not something that you often see on editorial boards, even, you know, in the year of our Lord, 2022, it's, um, it's, it's a really, really great time to be a young person in this position. And I think all three of us, uh, hold it very high.
1: If I could add to that too, I think, you know, we have naturally coalesced around a set of values as an editorial board. And I don't think that it, it's based necessarily on ideology or any sort of preconceived notion about how things we how we would like them to go i think uh you know one of the things that you often see with editorial boards opinion pages and then newspapers at large is readers now cast them as liberal because of how rhetoric and discourse around media has changed over the last you know five to ten years and i think for us we are more issue oriented and, and on those issues, we're solution oriented. And so I think it's, it's often we've, we've found ourselves go, going to places because we, we discuss the issues, we don't always necessarily agree, we lean on expert experience and we look at studies, research to back up the positions we take. Um, and we, we report it out, like, you know, just like news journalists do, we're making calls every day we're working sources we're establishing connections around the city around california to make sure that when we say something publicly we are as informed as possible it's not just something we pulled out of our head or it's not just something we picked up on twitter it's based on interviews it's based on research and it's based on ideals and um you know whether it's climate change or homelessness or housing or any of the most pressing issues facing us the preservation of democracy um we don't view them as liberal we view them as a solution base and that's the way we try to go
2: And just to jump into really quickly with an example, uh, really early on, I've been here not quite a year yet, but I remember uh, Yusuf was writing an editorial about uh, forest clearing. I had just come uh, from my previous job on the coast where there's uh, the largest uh, state forest out there. and in that job, I had worked with a lot of environmentalists who were trying to uh, fight back against some of the forest clearing. And Yusuf and I had a great conversation about, and we disagreed on on what some of the things we should make as a point in that editorial. And um, you know, the editorial was much stronger for having those opposing viewpoints, and we're not a monolith.
0: Well, actually, uh, you know, I, I want to key in on that for a second because. One of the things that surprised me as a, as a reader, and I know surprised uh, a number of other people, is the process and transparency you all went through, along with even your final decisions on candidate selection on who the B was going to endorse in the primaries. And I, w- I was very surprised because you all openly acknowledged that you argued and you struggled uh, in that process. Hannah, take us inside that room and tell us about some of those discussions.
3: I think uh, we were grateful whenever there was an obvious candidate in a race because we really did uh, struggle with a lot of those races. Um, District attorney, for example, uh, was a big one for us where, um, you know, we just inherently had different ideas and beliefs on Uh, who the type of person was that could fulfill that role. And um, it led to a lot of, you know, heated but respectful um, discussions. And I think whenever we got to the point where we were tempted to to sort of throw in the towel or say, you know, maybe we don't endorse or maybe we write two two different endorsements for two different candidates. um, We always came to a consensus with one candidate but with the solution of trying to be very transparent in the fact that we did struggle and convey that to readers to say that the answer wasn't clear to us either.
0: Marcos, one of the things that also was surprising (laughs) by that process was you all backed some non-traditional, non-establishment candidates. I can't think of anything that many of us consider more establishment in this region than the Sacramento Bee. Um, stepping out like that, what does that say for the moment that the Bee's in in terms of its own
4: journey? Well, I hope it says that we're um, uh, embracing uh, the moment that we're in now. Uh, my reluctance to get involved with the editorial board, it, board in years past was I, I felt that it could be like an ivory tower where we were just sort of opining on high, uh, and really felt like uh, if we're going to do this, that we have to, we have to be in the community, we have to be talking to people, uh, and that our 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 opinion journalism has to be rooted in the hard work of reporting. Uh, and so my hope is that that people notice that and that uh, uh, people see that um, uh, that. But we've got a, 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 a robust board, the, the biggest one in 20 years. Uh, and that we're we're taking on the critical issues of the day uh, in a thoughtful way, hopefully, and that and that the words are relevant to people. And 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 I think I think uh, that's the goal every day.
0: Hmm. Yusuf, I, I want to know what are the big issues right now that you're paying the most attention <clears> to <throat> and that you wish your readers would as well.
1: Well, I, uh, the issue I think we're all paying attention to right now is homelessness, obviously, and uh, I, I don't know if it's, if it's one that people aren't paying attention to because of how much attention it just naturally is getting. It's, um, it's affecting everyone in their daily lives in, in some fashion, um, but in, in terms of I think what I, I wish folks would consider, I think uh, you know I, I've noticed a lot of the discussion around criminal justice issues and criminal justice reform have moved away from sort of a a logical, rational-based sort of conversation, more to an emotional place where we're not really looking for solutions based on things that might change an outcome, but we're looking for solutions that'll change how we feel uh, on a day-to-day basis. Give us an
0: example of that.
1: Well, I I think homelessness is a good crossover of that, right? And I think if we are if we're seeing horrific uh, murders like in Rancho Cordova on the American River Parkway or in Land Park with Kate Tibbetts and they're tied to the Sacramento jail, I think initially we really want to see some justice. We want to see something come out of that moment. But what gets lost in those debates uh, in the aftermath is that uh, basing our solutions off an anecdote or a one-off or maybe something that doesn't represent the whole can often skew the discussion and skew the debate. And so uh, we see that right now in the race for attorney general statewide. I think right now you're, you're seeing some, uh, some Democrats shifting to Republican uh, candidates because they want to see more uh, hard and fast law and order candidates, whereas uh, those policies and practices in decades past haven't led to safer communities and haven't led necessarily to things that we believe could change outcomes and make communities safe.
0: Well, while that, uh, I hear what you're saying. But uh, you know, Robin, uh, Hannah, I'd love to hear your feedback on this. There is a, a growing notion in this emotional swing that Yusuf just spoke to that people are also emotionally exhausted and that they feel like that they took a chance on doing something that was a bit more expansive, a bit more enlightened, and it hasn't worked. And some in more conservative parts of the country say California has got a unified uh, democratic government. It's got more money than any other state in the country with huge surpluses. Yet homelessness, housing, climate change, uh, fires, they can't seem, California can't seem to walk across the street without bumping into a light pole. If People, if people are that exhausted right now, what's the alternative then for people to go backwards?
4: I
2: think that California is a huge state, much, much larger than people not living here realize. And within that state, there are just an incredible number of viewpoints and living situations and styles and I don't think it's so much that we're failing, even though we have all of these resources. I think it's that the problems that we're facing are huge. And some of them are situational, right? So if, if Nebraska was on the West Coast, it would also be dealing with wildfires. It's just where California is. And it's part of the infrastructure that we have set up in the past 100 years or so with PG&E. Um, I think that the homelessness issue is a nationwide problem. We're not the only ones struggling with that. Um, and so all of this to say that even though we have all of these problems, there is no state I would rather live in. There is no state I would rather be a journalist in holding our leaders to account. We're going to get it wrong. They're going to get it wrong. We're going to, you know, tell them when they do that. I hope that we also tell them when they're getting it right and we encourage them and we try to move the state more towards the best place that we know it can be. But in the meantime, these are not small problems with quick fixes. It's going to take decades. And it's it's taken us decades to get to this point. So if we're exhausted, it's because these things are starting to pile up. And there's not an easy fix. There's not, nothing's going to be solved in the next couple of days, regardless of how much money we have in the budget. Um, but I have faith in us to do it. And I still, I still much rather live here.
0: Hannah, what are the problems that as you go out and talk to people that are your friends, your neighbors, the people who are within your generation, <laughs> What are the big issues that they're looking for California to solve for them, so that they can have the lives they aspire to?
3: Well, Scott, I think one of the first things that comes to mind um, is this growing frustration and disillusionment with the Democratic Party, um, specifically among my peers and I, where uh, we were in, you know, we were told so many times that all we had to do was vote, right? Like voting was the solution and that if we just got the Democrats back in power, that our rights would be preserved, that all of these progressive changes would occur. And lo and behold, we got the Democrats back in power and our reproductive rights have been stripped away from us. And who knows how many other rights are now on the chopping block. So I think one of the main things that concerns my generation is, um, you know, we can ally with the Republican Party, of course, um, and we don't see our values represented in that party, but. On the flip side of that, we don't see Democratic lawmakers standing up for for our even extremely basic rights. You know, we were told this message of, uh, you know, a Democratic majority would, would speak on our behalf. And we are left worse off than uh, than when Biden came to power. So, I think that's that's really um, top of mind for my peers and I. And um, I don't know what the answer is there.
0: Youssef, uh, what it, what encapsulates, from my perspective, exactly what Hannah was talking about was your point a little bit earlier about homelessness. You've got a, a city of Sacramento who spends. Some would say way too much time discussing homelessness. You have a county uh, of Sacramento, which some would say has not been held to account in the way that it should be. But you've got people who normally should all be on the same side of the issues. They sh- they certainly stand together at press conferences and, and picture taking for the opening of, of like new facilities and things like that. That disappointment that Hannah is talking about is, is real. How is the B going to help elevate that discussion and uh, shine the bright light in the corners where it is that action should be happening and it's
1: not? Well, I think one of the things that you know kind of gets at this idea of us expecting politicians to do what we would hope of them is the reality of of how. Uh, politicians can come into power and we think it's with voting, but as Sacramento and as I've learned since I've been in Sacramento, uh, it's often special interests. It's it's different uh, groups that have an agenda and have money to spend who are influencing and tarnishing a lot of debates and policy discussions by pushing for things that they feel like are uh, what they would like to see and maybe not in the best interest of the public. And I think the homelessness issue is a perfect example of that. This year we have a ballot measure going forward uh, in the city uh, that came forward because business leaders were so frustrated with the way this issue was being handled, uh, particularly in the downtown core, that they were able to force the city to the table uh, and negotiate a measure that uh, this week, uh, the city amended to include the county uh, because the county failed to step in and do something on their own. And so I think uh, when you have a a system and a place like Sacramento where special interests and dollars can influence debate, you're not going to see the results that you'd like to see from politicians uh, because they're not really being held to the promises they're making on the campaign trail. They're being held to the ones they're making behind closed doors.
0: Ah, okay. Uh, Marcos, I want to ask you, with the expansion of your editorial board and the work that everyone here and your colleagues that are not with us today are out doing. It, has the B finally made it to a point where from a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint, your editorial staff is reflective of the community that you serve?
4: Uh, not yet, uh, we still have more work to do uh, on that. I mean, our, our board has grown. Uh, and we have Josh Golke, who's our deputy uh, opinion editor, who in my mind is the best commentator on Gavin Newsom in California. We have Melinda Hannenberger, who's a Pulitzer Prize winning columnist. We have Jack Oman, who's a Pulitzer Prize winning cartoonist. And we have Colleen Nelson, our executive editor, who also is a Pulitzer Prize winner. So uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic board of people, but I, I, I would like to see the board grow uh, and and uh, be more reflective of the diversity of, of Sacramento, and and it's going to be my goal to make that happen.
0: Okay, and I want to ask you uh, when you in talking about your friends, and the people that you hang out with, um, if you had one big idea on how to get them to start reading not only your work but everybody's work here, and the B in general, and actually maybe subscribe. <laughs> What, what would be your big idea? I'm just curious.
3: Um, I don't think I have one big idea or solution, but I will say that um, I, I almost exclusively cover Placer County where I was born and raised. And I cannot tell you the amount of times I've received a text message from somebody I went to high school with who said, my entire family, you know, reads every single column you come up with. Um, And I think it's because, um, you know, as Robin was saying, California is not the liberal monolith that other states see us as. There are still parts that are deeply red, including Placer County. Um, And I think growing up in that county was difficult because we saw this conservative Um, you know, sort of archaic status quo um, that didn't, you know, that that was so different than what whatever was happening in Sacramento, just 30 minutes away. And so I think starting to challenge that status quo has really resonated with a lot of people my age. And I think that could be extrapolated out to the to the whole state is just starting to think in new ways. Um, I know one legislator that I'm really following is Scott Weiner. I think he's somebody who's started to think in new ways and, and introduce some um, legislation that that acts in, in new ways. Um, I think those are the types of ideas and solutions that need to be brought to the table.
4: And Scott, can I just add that Hannah's reporting has shaken people up in Placer County to the point where you have legislators like Kevin Kiley who is scared of her, scared to talk to her, too scared to meet with us. Uh, And and, uh, that to me is a statement uh, as to the the power of, of opinion journalism when it's done well.
0: All right, and we're going to have to leave it there. Folks, look out for uh, the, the championship bout Holzer versus Kylie coming to a B editorial page near you soon. Thank you all for your time. Please keep writing and we'll keep reading.
2: Thank you, Scott.
0: Thanks, Scott. And that's our show. Thanks to our guests and thanks to you for watching Studio Sacramento. I'm Scott Syfax. See you next time right here on KVIE.
3: Thank you for listening to Studio Sacramento from KVIE Public Television. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes to help others find it.
0: All episodes of Studio Sacramento, along with other KVIE programs, are available to watch online at kvie.org slash video.